Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, welcome to News Data's Energy West podcast. I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up. With me is my co host and colleague, Jason Fordney. Uh, we're back after taking a few months off. It's good to be back in the new year and with a retooled podcast. In 2024, we're focusing on bringing the conversation makers to you with in-depth interviews with leading thinkers in the electric power industry every couple of weeks. So stay tuned to your uh, podcast feeds for those. We've got a lot of good content planned for you guys. Today, we have part one of an interview I did earlier in the fall with transmission grid expert Rob Gramlich of Grid Strategies. We talked about what the industry needs to expand its transmission network to keep the lights on and prices down while electrifying and decarbonizing. So with that, Jason, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dan. How's everything? It's off to a good start. A little bit of a cold start, but good. Yeah, I know you guys are really getting the freeze up there. Sounds like. It's warming up. Yeah. For people that don't know, you're in Seattle and I'm in Northern California. Yes. Yeah. And I'm uh, really excited for our new uh, retooled podcast here coming into 2024 and uh, really interested to hear from Rob Gramlich. You guys, uh, looks like you hit a few different topics and looks like you got into transmission somewhat. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So Rob is one of the leading voices on transmission in the country. Uh, yeah, he's been credited with coming up with the acronym that, or not acronym, but the um, know, mnemonic device, whatever, the three P's, permitting, paying, mm-hmm. planning, and the three things that you need to solve to build effective and efficient transmission uh, for the network. Yeah, all important. All, all three of those important. I've, I've have heard that before. I've talked to Rob a few times over the years. He's a very uh, insightful guy and... Uh, Interested in, in hearing this for sure. Yeah, he was very gracious with his time. Uh, you know, one thing that we talked about that I, I'm, I thought was interesting was the three reasons that people should care. And one of the things that he, one of the points that he made was just, there's kind of something for everybody to care about. If the, Even if you're not in the industry, uh, kind of safety, economics, and climate, or kind of hey, boil these three things down into but uh, sure. there's there's some angle to get everybody into it, and it is something that we need to bring everybody into if we're going to have the support to really develop transmission the way it needs to be developed in the West and across the country in general. I mean, there's there's no shortage of uh, need for more transmission in the United States. True, and just, you know, I've been covering energy for what twenty years now, and also transmission. Uh, these lines are not usually popular. So you've got kind of an interesting situation where uh, you're trying to sell, you know, environmentalists who traditionally oppose lines in their areas or through their favorite national park or whatever, or uh, national forest, I should say. So, yeah, it seems all about education right now and uh, trying to basically sell the public. And I know that's been a, a big focus on the industry and, um, you know, at some of the federal agencies. So. Uh, hopefully that will lead to some uh, steel in the ground here. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, there are certainly a lot of ways that we need to uh, make the planning and, and building process more efficient, which Rob and I get into a bit. Uh, you know, some of those, I guess that actually is covered by all three P's, planning, play, paying and permitting. 
But um, yeah, yeah he, was, he really uh, raised some ex- excellent points. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, so yeah. he, he was very gracious with his time. We talked for uh, like maybe an, close to an hour. I, so we're going to split this up into two interviews. So this uh, this week, it's going to be part one and come back in a couple of weeks and we'll have part two of this conversation for you. All right. Fantastic. Well, uh, why don't you roll it? All right. Well, without further ado, here is Grid Strategies uh, founder, Rob Gramlick. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up. And today on Energy West with us is Rob Gramlick, the founder and president of Grid Strategies, one of the foremost grid experts in the country, uh, connecting in with us from his home in D.C. or office in D.C. I'm not I don't mean to out you if you're supposed to be in the office, but you're the boss. So it doesn't matter. But <laughs> um, actually, it probably matters more. But uh, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank Thanks, you for Sam. joining us. Very kind of you, other than outing me. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I was really excited to connect with you today. I know I've read a lot of your company's reports, studies, slide decks. Uh, you, your reputation precedes you. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, and I know Rob's favorite topic the energy grid and particularly transmission and how we make how we get more of it, how we make the best use of what we have, uh, because none of the things that we want to do, decarbonization, electrification, none of that happens without the wires. So, Rob, like what is your elevator pitch or just like way to, you know, whatever analogy or metaphor? How how do you describe it that allows somebody who's not deep in the weeds to really grasp the scope of the problem or the challenge that we're facing. Sure. Well, I think everybody first can relate to the preeminent importance of reliability and resilience. And people are aware of the severe weather um, situations that have been coming through. And so one thing I like to share is just the actual um, events around uh, those either severe uh, heat or severe cold and what tends to happen if you look back at like a dozen recent events is there's uh, power available in the neighboring region and transmission keeps the lights on by delivering that available power to the region that's in the uh, center of the severe weather. So uh, you can have generation of all sorts, um, you know, trip off, go offline in response to uh, severe heat and cold. And so that that just illustrates the importance of of transmission and keeping the lights on and those high voltage long haul lines uh, are are quite resilient. You know, they they are less vulnerable. They don't go down as much as distribution lines or generation assets or the other things that are part of the power system. So those high voltage lines are are quite strong and resilient and they're sort of an insurance policy for all of us. So that's one. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of conversations with people in Congress on Capitol Hill and everybody, everybody gets that and cares a lot about that. Um, and then the second thing is uh, we've got a lot of growing demand, manufacturing, electrification, um, data centers that are on steroids now because of artificial intelligence, uh, a lot of that demand, and then a lot of new supply coming onto the system and the grid is constrained. So we're having difficulty connecting up both the new demand and the supply 
Um, so again, people on both sides of the aisle and from various backgrounds also really relate to that. We just got to upgrade our grid. The grid stands between the generation and load. It's constrained. It's insufficient. And we need to expand it. Um, and then the third thing is, is climate. And this, this is where there's no transition without transmission. That's the sort of, you know, a phrase going around. And it's really true, um, especially with large scale wind and solar, which is usually remote. And uh, even if it's not remote from population centers, uh, you need a, a regionally diverse mix because the wind is always blowing somewhere and there's, you know, solar in different time zones and with cloud cover in one place and sunny in other places. And so you need that diverse mix and you add some geothermal, some hydro and other carbon-free sources in there. And you really got to spread the power around across large areas. So for climate uh, and clean energy, we really need a, a much more robust grid. So, you know, I think there's something for everybody to, to like, and I think there's <laughs> increasing recognition now, at least especially post inflation reduction act that this is now the top uh, initiative, top energy policy priority uh, of the country. Yeah, so uh, just to summarize your three points, it sounds like kind of the three prongs, uh, reliability, constraints on expansion, and no transition without transmission. Yep. Like there's, yeah, uh, practical safety kind of angle, the economic development angle, and then climate change. Um, yep, so yeah, like right. you said, there's something for everybody. I mean, it really seems like no matter what metric you look at, uh, it's to your point about this is the priority now, um, that it pick your metric congestion rates, uh, interconnection queue times, curtailments. There's not like, is there any metric that you can look at that you're like, okay, few? <laughs> I mean, it seems like they are all, I don't know, flashing red is being hyperbolic, but it seems like they're kind of close. I mean, when interconnection queues are like four years or more, uh, and what you, I think you guys just came out with um, data from the earlier this year, 2020 to 2021 congestion rates like doubled or congestion costs double or triple I yeah what. it's been that's right uh, it's been doubling a few years in a row so yeah if you just look at kind of the operational uh, uh performance congestion is uh doubling each year that that just means you're you're dispatching higher price generation and consumers are paying this cost um so yeah from that operational standpoint that that says the grid is constrained. If you look at connecting the new load, a lot of the new manufacturers, new data centers are hearing from the local utility. Sorry, you can't come here. We're, we're filled up. So from that perspective, grid is constrained. And then obviously everybody's aware now of the supply side, the new generators coming in the queue with these five year uh, interconnection queue processes and 200 uh, uh, or two terawatts now of uh, new generation stuck in these interconnection queues. So that's uh, that's another flashing red. So where do we start addressing the problem? There's a lot 
uh, of things that a lot of parties can do. So I don't want to say it's one thing because I don't want to let others off the hook. Like nobody <laughs> needs to wait for the FERC final rule and nobody, you know, and Congress doesn't need to just say it's all on FERC and FERC doesn't need to say, oh, it's all Congress permitting form. So, so let me kind of go through some of the key actions. I do like to use the three P's. I started using that uh, about 15 years ago with the uh, American Wind Energy Association board when they had executives coming in from Europe and were trying to understand our very strange uh, power system institutions here uh, in the U.S. And so the the uh, planning, permitting, and paying seemed to uh, simplify things a little bit. Um, so regional planning and interregional planning can really help. And the utilities can go ahead and start doing that today. The regional transmission organizations and ISOs can start doing that today in the West. Uh, California ISO is doing a lot and talking to their neighbors. And um, uh, I hear that um, you know Bonneville is getting interested in uh, working on something and you have Northern Grid and West Connect and they might get active. Um, so that those are sort of regional planning activities, and then uh, that can happen now. Uh, and then uh, FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, they have this major proposed rule on planning and cost allocation, and that's been uh, out there in proposal form for a year and a half. And they can finalize that. Uh, they need to strengthen it and finalize it. Uh, I think they will. I think it's going to take at least a few months to get it get it ready. Uh, I know from having worked uh, for a FERC chairman that there's a bit of a bottleneck at uh, senior levels of staff and the commissioners to, you know, put a, turn all the work into final policy calls and get an order prepared for voting. So they're they're going to take a little time to do that. But that that rule uh, can make a big difference, essentially making every region do proper planning, plan for the future resource mix. Um, we can talk about the details, but that's essentially it on the planning. And then, you know, planning, permitting, paying. The paying part is cost allocation. It's very hard to figure out where how you get your money back. There's plenty of investors and there's plenty of available capital out there to invest in projects. But, you know, if you build some line that, you know, across the West or between the Western and Eastern interconnection, um, you, you might be benefiting dozens and dozens of uh, utilities and their customers across, you know, a dozen or more states, which uh, the fact that there are so many benefits and so many beneficiaries actually makes it harder to recover your cost, uh, right? There's It's sort of a public good. Everybody benefits and nobody raises their hand to want to pay for it. So that's a challenge. But again, uh, states and utilities working together in a region can figure out a cost sharing agreement so they can get busy today and do that. Uh, FERC's rule will also say something about cost allocation associated with the plans. Um, so that um, that will likely, again, you know, come out and maybe early next year. Um, also on the paying part, the this cost allocation, uh, there's a role for Congress here. Um, there has been in uh, permitting reform discussions of uh, doing planning and, and transmission cost allocation in that context, in that legislative context. And I think I think there may be some emerging bipartisan agreement in the Senate um, on doing something on that. So that's great. And then separately in Congress, you know, the tax committees operate different from the energy policy committees. And the tax committees are probably going to have a tax extenders bill 
at some point. And you could have a transmission tax credit that helps by taking a little bit of the burden off of the uh, electric industry players and having taxpayers fund, say, 30% of the transmission lines for these big long-haul lines. That would make cost allocation of the remaining 70% that much easier. So that's a really important, potentially helpful piece. So we got jobs for the uh, Congressional Tax Writing Committees and their their members, uh, and then permitting. Um, and here, again, there's a lot for um, local and state permitting authorities, uh, and they can tap into some new resources available for, available from the Department of Energy on, on that to help them with their permitting. Part of the permitting work is just it's a lot of work. You have to do a lot of things, and you can't do shortcuts, or else you just open up legal vulnerabilities. Um, and then federal agencies have a big role, especially in the West, because you're inevitably crossing some federally managed plot of land or another, or usually multiple agencies land. Uh, so this administration is actually doing a lot on interagency coordination and getting timelines and accountability. Uh, so that's, that's really important. There's certainly a lot for federal agencies to do, but they seem to have been doing it lately, which is, which is great. And then lastly, uh, Permitting is also the subject of, uh, of course, congressional legislation, and uh, there are there uh, you know there's a transmission uh, component to that bill. The Republicans, like Senator Barrasso, have, have said yes, there will be a transmission component of any such bill. Uh, so there's good proposals there. Um, prospects are looking a little bit bleak lately, but uh, there is good discussion, and there might be an opportunity in the in the future. Uh, maybe it's the next Congress, but um, there's active conversation going on. So I think the, I don't know, there's pretty good sort of medium term prospects on some permitting reform. Right, well, let, let's start there uh, and maybe talk about at the federal level a little bit and then get into some more um, regional stuff about the West. But uh, yeah, the, the, so you're, you're not talking about any, uh, bill that's actually been introduced you're just saying kind of conversations about parts of a potential legislation that have been coming together um but you seem hopeful to cautiously yeah, I mean, optimistic i would i, I, would, I would for for those interested I would, I would take a look at the mansion bill that he introduced in the spring which is basically the same as his version of last december uh the b-a-e-s-a you can man you can google mansion b-a-e-s-a um and that has a transmission provision, and that's probably the basis of, of conversation. Uh, there's also uh, more recently, um, there's a big wires act from Senator Hickenlooper, um, uh, which has gained a lot of attention. Uh, it has, uh, I think it's being officially introduced uh, any, any day now, um, but the draft has been all over. And that's a, that's a, interesting proposal for a minimum transfer capacity between regions that would be required legislatively. Uh, but those are the two what, main... What does that mean? A minimum transfer? Yeah, well, so if you have region A and region B, uh, it would say, like they do in Europe, it would say you need to have 20% or X percent uh, capacity available uh, between the two regions, just for sort of that insurance policy for reliability and also greater integration of the 
grids for a variety of purposes. And so, um, so is that like regions like Eastern and Western interconnection and ERCOT? Uh, yeah, probably wouldn't touch ERCOT. Of course, of, of course not. Nothing of, touches ERCOT. That's, that's right. That's just kind of boilerplate language in Congress is to leave ERCOT alone. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but other, um, you know, other regions, you know, MISO, SPP, PJM in the East, those sorts of uh, connections. And then um, uh, it, it, how it plays in the West, I mean, there's a couple different options, but um uh, it could be the order 1000 region. So, uh, Northern mm -hmm. grid, West connect and Kaiso. So it would also require, um, transfer requirements, capacity requirements between organized markets, not just interconnections. So it's sub it's regions yes. within the two interconnections, but then would yeah. it also require more, um, uh, uh, ties between the Eastern and Western interconnection? I mean, that's yet to be determined by okay. either the legislation or for FERC is talking about it, too. And there's different options about, uh, you know, which which areas are uh, 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 it applies to. Well, uh, you know, you mentioned the tax credit, too, and we certainly have seen like what a uh, just boost that has been for solar and wind. Uh, the you guys had there was a 30 percent tax credit in the ira the inflation reduction act right that got nixed at the right I mean, it, draft, it was in the draft yeah. and then it got right. cut like late on in the process right so yes. what i guess is there um anything relevant to know about the dynamics there that people should know to really understand what's going on or is it just you know it just happened um but because you sound optimistic that it's going to get through again, I guess, what would be different this time? Well, um, you know, you never really know who was quietly lobbying against it. Uh, one can guess, but I don't want to necessarily guess in public here. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it, yeah, it did kind of fall out at, at the end, which is very, very unfortunate. And um, but it is widely recognized to be valuable. And, um, you know, there's an opportunity in in any future tax bill to uh, to include it it does seem like it would go a long way towards helping solve the chicken and egg financing problem with transmission which uh right. being you've got somebody who wants to build a line somebody who wants to build generation somebody who wants to buy generation but nobody wants to commit money or sign a contract until they know the generation there the generations there or the lines there or you know, well, I don't want to build, I can't sign an off-taker contract to build my wind farm uh, unless I have firm transmission. But the transmission line hasn't been built yet because I don't have an off-take contract. Exactly. Uh, it, yeah, that chicken and egg problem has been really difficult. And just the fact that these large, long-haul transmission lines can benefit tens of millions of people across, you know, a dozen or more states uh and over a period of 60 years the you know the life of the line so those benefits are so dispersed that it really starts to look more like an interstate highway in the transportation context which is paid for by taxpayers some yeah. federal state you know cost sharing uh so i mean you could do that now there you know there are those who say well let's just federalize the whole dang thing and and uh you know have a department of energy build the lines and own the lines I, I, you know our our 
private industry in the electric industry is entirely capable of building and owning lines and getting private capital. So there aren't many people who think anything should be federalized here, but some federal support through the 30% tax credit makes eminent sense. I mean, that, you know, that kind of accounts for those super long-term benefits and super broad benefits that these transmission lines provide, which, um, you know, are great for the country, but it just make it hard to recover that value in terms of voluntary commitments from, um, you know, consumers or generators. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, it is, when you think about how broadly spread out the cost of transmission is, uh, and what a benefit it delivers. I mean, it's the, it seems like it's one of the best deals for consumers, for ratepayers, um, in terms of what makes up their bill, uh, like bang for the buck. And yet here we are talking about chicken and egg problems. Yeah. And I don't want to belittle that either. Like, uh, I, I think most people agree with that, that the, Long-term value is is there, and it lowers rates, and it provides uh, you know insurance against uh, uh, severe weather and other strain conditions. And in those strain conditions, you can both lose power with it, which is extremely costly for everybody, for businesses and homes. But also, you just get super high energy prices when you have these events. And if you look backwards at what keeps happening, you get those. Uh, losses of reliability and you get those super high energy prices in constrained areas. Um, so the challenge now is how do you prospectively looking forward uh, incorporate that into our planning when you don't really know exactly where and when the next threat is going to happen or what it looks like. So it's a little bit difficult for the planners to say objectively to states and everybody, oh, you know, this thing is going to happen. We better build this transmission line to protect against it um, because and you, it's, you can't, it's hard. And you can't yeah. build for every conceivable exactly. potential you can't threat. Do that. You have to be, you have to prioritize. Um, That's right. And, and from a lot of consumers, as, as you can forecast. Right. And a lot of consumers are, uh, you know, they know about the uncertainties too, but they also uh, fear, you know, paying the certain cost like the you know when you build transmission that cost is certain you're paying for it people are paying for it uh, and the benefits are you know longer term and less certain so it makes sense that consumers are skeptical and poking and prodding at the plans and making sure it's really valuable and that's that's all great and they need to be part of the process uh, but the fact remains that we have been penny wise and pound foolish by uh, under building the grid uh, and, you know, how many years need to go by uh, before we kind of take control of this thing and plan for the future and make it a lot more reliable and efficient for everybody going forward. Yeah. On that, uh, the penny, penny wise, pound foolish, um, it just seems like so much of the public, certainly like general public focus uh, and and even within the industry up until the past few years, at least from my experience, you know, it's really been talking about um, building out generation. And it just seems like the transmission conversation is just catching up really on a, I mean, I know, of course, you're like, no, I've been here. I've been talking about this. <laughs> uh, but in terms of the broader conversation, especially outside the industry, you know, what needs to change? How do we get that message? How does the industry get the message out to the broader, you know, how does it, how does it make transition, 
building transmission sexy for, for yeah. voters. Right. Well, uh, a necessary condition is to make sure all the key parties understand the need and the, and the benefit. And, and you're right. I think we're seeing a lot more sort of general press stories and a lot more policymakers uh, talk about it and, and hear about it. And that's important. And, um, uh, you know, I think I think views are changing about the, you know, the need and the opportunity. So that's great. But of course, that's not sufficient. We really need to make it easier and quicker to get these lines, uh, you know, planned and, and built. And uh, we've had some recent successes around the West with some lines finally going forward, but they've taken 15 years of, you know, a few of them have been you know, it took about that long and that's just yeah. not acceptable. We just don't have the time and the clock is ticking. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of parties and, and uh, groups who um, see the benefit, but need to really help on how do we speed up these processes? Um, we're a very process oriented society and we've probably got some deeper issues to, uh, to work through there. Um and, you know, nobody wants to tell any party that, sorry, you can't be part of the process and participate. And we don't need to do that, but we need to find more efficient ways to get to a decision at the end of the process. And so that that decision can take, you know, two years, not 12. Well, I mean, it seems like all right, so that speeding up the process is good, but we know the payment structure, the cost recovery structure doesn't incentivize private utilities to build wires. Now, the the renewable energy transition happened because in large part because of public support. How do we get you know, my neighbor to be clamoring for more lines? Right. Right. Well, uh, I, you know, I, I think what we need to do is get different types of states. You know, we got red and blue states around the West, right, uh, to oversimplify. But like we, we need to get people aligned on transmission and there is something in it for everybody. I mean, you have, uh, you know, you have kind of more supply states and more demand states around the West and they both benefit the consumers in the demand states. You kind of need the power and the, you know, local economic development is a, a, an opportunity there for the more supply states. So we need to get them together. They need to talk to each other and, and reach some agreement. And that, you know, that's tough because there's, you know, mistrust and different views and philosophies between those states. But transmission, interstate, long-haul transmission, you know, by definition touches, you know, people in very politically different states. So, you know, that's part of the challenge. I think there is an opportunity to do it. And, it, you know, it has worked and succeeded. Um, but, you know, we have the same need and opportunity in Congress. And at FERC, we've got, you know, people who uh, you know, are kind of on either sides of somewhat tribal partisan divides and we need to get them together. So I'm ever an optimist and and also just sort of being practical. I, th I think there are ways we've seen it work in the past. I think we can get, you know, successful lines built. Um, sometimes, you know, just doing this log of one by one approvals, sometimes more regional agreements, and sometimes we get even get national policies. So I think all of those are, uh, are, are ways we can move forward. But um, it's not going to be easy. And it's going to require parties coming together, uh, sometimes ac across uh, partisan lines and other lines. <laughs> <laughs>